This is Jason Hansen, pastor of Anchor Church. Thank you for jumping onto our sermon podcast. My prayer is that as you listen to this sermon, you're encouraged in your walk with Jesus and that you live for him in all of life. Enjoy the sermon now. As I was thinking about this text, I was thinking that there's a number of things as we were little kids, you know, think about yourself being younger, that really influence us. It, 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 it kind of changes how we think throughout our lives. Even to today, there's things that I would watch as a kid. There's things that I experienced as a kid that that really inform me today. One of those that I was thinking about for my life was I used to love watching uh, on PBS, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Now, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, if you're my age, you know what that is. If you're 20 and under, you probably don't. That's okay. Uh, Mr. Rogers was a staple in my house. He was, he was a, a guy that had this show, and he would bring puppets out, and he would do all this stuff. And, and he, was, he was amazing. He was kind. He loved people. And he loved people that he came on there. He, he talked a lot about things that were difficult, but he wanted children to understand what, that life was hard, but yet um, kindness and, and love, it matters as we think about others and as we go f- forward in this. And, and, as a, and today, you know, I think that they started even a cartoon called Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood. If you know what that is, maybe you're younger, you realize that's a, just a takeoff on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. The reality is Mr. Rogers, I think in the last, since he's died in the last 20 years, has been, people realized how influential he actually was. People really are, are into this these days. Looking back, and you'll hear sometimes people say like, man, what would Mr. Rogers say today with all of the stuff going on in the world and coronavirus and all of this stuff? What would Mr. Rogers say? Well, there's something that he said as I was thinking about this text that I think it matters. I think it's poignant for us. This is what Mr. something Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers said at one point. He said, love is the root of everything. All learning, all parenting, all relationships, love or the lack of it. Love or the lack of it. And what Paul is going to actually help us to see today is, and I think as we think about our church, as we continue to, on this series through Ephesians, I think what we're going to understand in our church, in church life, as we think about that related to who Jesus is, how God's called us to, to react to one another, to relate to one another, is that when we think about love being the root of who we are in relationships, our unity or our disunity really either comes or goes with our love or lack of it. We are unified as we think about loving one another and we become disunified as we think of the lack of love for each other. We could, we could actually line list things here. We could talk about, you know, peace, love, joy. We could talk about all this stuff, relational conflict or not. We could talk about reconciliation and forgiveness, which we're going to talk about here together. But I think when we think about our unity, who we are together, we recognize that love actually matters. Love for each other, love or the lack of it will actually uh, cause us to either be unified together or find ourselves in a disunity kind of uh, mode as we think about our own life and we think about our own community. Uh, this really plays into what Paul says here at the end of chapter four. And here's the big idea that I think Paul gets at, because as we're going to read this, I'm going to read it in a second, you can take a look at the section that we're going to read and you realize that it seems really disjointed. It seems like you wonder, how is this actually played together? There's so many different things. He's hitting a bunch of different stuff, and here's how it all plays together. Here's maybe the glue that binds all of these verses together would be this idea, and it's this. We, 
Anchor Church, we together in community are most like Jesus when we treat one another like beloved family. It's not just family. I don't want to skip the word beloved, this loved idea. It's not just family because, quite frankly, I just by statistical analysis would say some of you in this room don't get along with your families. You actually, you, you love them, but not really. You just, you don't, you maybe you haven't talked to them in 20 years. You don't think about them. You guys think, we're talking about like loved family, immediate family, this family that, that you would go out of your way for, this family that you would do anything for. We, Anchor Church, we are most like Jesus when we treat one another as beloved family. And when we see that in this text, I think you're going to see how it all plays together. What I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to read through the text here. I'm going to actually, our, our text actually begins later. It actually begins halfway through this. But I'm going to start reading in verse 17. And then uh, we're going to break it down a little bit, figure out how we can, how we can live it out uh, together as we go. Here's the question for us, because if we think about, uh, you know, we are most like Jesus. We are unified. We, we live to be like him and we live for him. We look like him most when we love one another as family. What happens, though, when, when we're at odds? What happens when that love seems strained? Because I, that's going to happen. And so we've got to figure out how, how we continue on, how we think about that when that takes place. That's maybe the question that we're going to answer as we go. So let me read this text. We're going to begin in chapter 4, verse 17. We'll read through the end of the chapter, and then we'll break it down a little bit together. Now, this I, I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of our minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. We talked about that last week, that idea of, of growth and sanctification, the putting off of the old and putting on of the new. So what it means to become more and more like, like our Lord Jesus. This is our verses this morning. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Now, 
we look at this text, we want to remember that what I just said about the putting off and the putting on, what Paul called us to last week, that idea that a Christian life without change is not a Christian life, that idea that we, we are called to grow and change, we are called to put off these old things that, that we used to be like and continue to grow and putting on holiness and Christ-likeness and who he is. This is the Christian life. This is what it means to be a Christian. We don't want to just separate what that, you know, that reality with what we're going to say now. Notice that, that it starts with the word therefore. That means, that's a connecting word. That means, okay, given the, what I just said, that we are to put off these old things and put on these new things, in light of that reality, and then Paul goes on to start talking about what that actually practically looks like. But, but I don't want to start here right at that therefore. I actually want to jump down. I'm going to do that thing where, where you, you, know, you see a movie and it starts at the end and then you realize, oh wait, what just happened? And then it goes back to the beginning. And I'm going to do that with these last two verses in the section because really I think it seems like what Paul does is he begins line listing all of these things, these sins, these categories that we might struggle with. And then he realizes that could go on forever. And so he just sums it all up in these last two verses. He essentially says, this is what I really want, want you to get. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Put it away. Put it off. If you're going to be putting things off as you gather together and as you live your life together as a church, put off bitterness. Put off wrath. Put off anger. Put off clamor. Put off slander. Put it away from you along with all malice. Put it away. This is not how you should live. This is not who, who you should be. This is, should not categorize you. And, and we're talking individually. I'm talking with you. You can look at me and I'm looking at myself. We're talking about how we grow, how we relate to each other. Put all those things away and put on. Okay, we're talking put offs, put ons. Put all that away. Put on kindness. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. I love that word, tender-hearted, don't you? It's like removing the callous from our hearts. You can't get in there. There's a, a wall there that we're just hardness of heart. It just says, have tender hearts. Compassion might be a, a good word we can, we can put in place of that. Be compassionate. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiving one another. Another, be, be kind, be compassionate, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. This is our heart posture. This is how we should posture ourselves toward one another in a church. Paul wrote, is writing this to the Ephesian church. He's also writing it to Anchor Church. By the Spirit's, by the Spirit's direction, being carried along by the Spirit, Paul's writing, for us to understand what the call is to put off these things and to put on other things. This is a heart posture of love and compassion. It's, it's taking a look and saying, how am I relating to you? What, what, do you? what do you see from me? What do you receive from me? When I interact with you, are you, are you mostly feeling my wrath, my anger? Am I growing in bitterness towards you? Or, am I, or are you feeling from me kindness, compassion, even when I might wrong you? What is my heart posture? What is your heart posture? It matters. I, when, I was, when I was younger, 
I was probably seven or eight years old. My younger sister well, would have been five or six. We were downstairs in the basement. We're, we're playing on a, my, my, I think in the basement somehow we had like a pole. I don't know if it was like a pull-up bar or chin-up bar or something like that downstairs. And we would, we would jump, we would climb up and jump off the wall and swing on it. It was, it was high. It was attached to the, to the ceiling. And so we'd, we'd swing on it and drop. And there was one day we were doing that. And my sister was hanging on it, swinging, and I was like, let me push you. So I pushed her once, and she was like, don't do that anymore. I was like, just, you know, I'm thinking in my mind, okay, just one more time, right? So, so I push her, and she loses her grip, and she falls, lands on her arm, and she, she, broke, she breaks her arm, right? So my thought is, shh, I'm like, stop, stop screaming. It's fine. You're totally fine. Mom doesn't need to hear, right? I'm trying to get away with it. No, no, no. I didn't. My mom comes down. What happened? I don't, I don't know. Like, I I don't know what happened, and then she's crying, and then later, she can't say what happened. Later, she says, Jason pushed me, and my mom, then I got in trouble. My mom was like, you pu- why were you pushing her? We had to explain this whole thing. But I remember when I, when I came to the point of being like, I can't believe that I did that. I remember just think, feeling so bad, just thinking like, I feel so, I'm so, I remember saying, I'm really sorry. And then like a week later, we were at a concert. My dad was a youth pastor. And I remember we were at this, you know, he took the youth group to a concert. We went with him. And I remember, I remember my sister sitting there. Her, she's in this big cast, you know. And she was, I mean, we're all standing up. She's sitting down and she had fallen asleep. I remember looking at her and just feeling so compassionate. Like, I feel so bad that I hurt you. I feel so bad that I did that to you. Church, that should be our posture. Even when we sin against each other, it should be, I feel so, I am so sorry. I did not, I, I, I sinned against you. I did that. I didn't say, you know, at some point I wasn't like, I didn't do it. You know, I wasn't standing up. I didn't, I did nothing. I mean, I'm sorry that you felt like I pushed you, which is typically the apology that we get, right? I'm sorry that you felt like I sinned against you, which is the, which is the non-apology apology. I'm sorry you feel that way. I couldn't get away with that at the time. I'm sorry that you feel like I pushed you and you fell and broke your arm. No, she broke her arm. I pushed her. I'm sorry. And Paul's saying, let all of the anger and wrath and bitterness and clamor and slander that would actually push away genuine forgiveness, push away genuine compassion, push away genuine love, put all of that away and actually embrace and bring on the realities that love matters. When we think about relationships as we go forward. And Paul lands here because we realize as we read this text, and as we're going to read the rest of it, you realize what he's actually saying is, if you actually loved each other, you would do this. Listen, if you actually loved each other, you wouldn't be wrath-filled towards one another. We, we, We wouldn't. I think about my kids I think about my family. Are there times that I get angry? Absolutely. And I go back and ask forgiveness for that. But if my constant refrain to them, they looked at me and they said, if you were to explain five things about your dad to somebody else, and they said, hmm, let me think. Okay, bitterness, uh, let's see, wrath, anger, clamor. They don't even know what that word means. Clamor, slander, Malice, those are the words that describe my dad. You'd go, he does not love you. He doesn't love you. But they said, what about your dad? They said, he's kind. He's compassionate. Um, he he for, forgives me and he asks for my forgiveness. They'd say, that's a, that's, that's a loving relationship. Listen, this matters, church. You know why? Because we are called 
to live like this. We are called to be this way. This isn't like, this isn't like, hey, you know what would be it? Paul's not saying, you know what would be a really good idea? I, oh, I got a really good idea. You guys should consider maybe, maybe loving one another in kindness. No, you know what he says? Be kind. That's a, com- this is a command. Be kind. You think, well, maybe it doesn't apply to me. No, it does. No, it does. It, it applies to you. And we think about this in terms of our lives, and we think about this in terms of us gathering together, and I want to make sure we understand that we are called to constantly be changing from the wrathful, anger, bitterness, infighting, angry, you know, the, the kind that never can get along, we, we don't like each other, that kind of stuff. We're supposed to change from this over into being those that are being kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the heart posture we're supposed to take towards each other, do we? That's the question, do you? That's the question, do I? I mean, we're getting into the crux of the matter here with Paul. Paul is, he's not pulling punches because this is the summation of what he talks about. But beforehand, he actually goes through a lot of different things. He starts giving examples. It's like on the top of his head, maybe, maybe Paul's thinking about the Ephesian church and he actually has people in mind. My guess is he probably does. Paul's probably heard about the Ephesian church. He's, he understands it. He knows some of the people that are in there. He's talked with some of the pastors. He understands what's going on. And he realizes there's things to address in this church. There's things that they need to get. And not just in this church, but there's things in global life that we need to understand. I mean, all this stuff that he's probably seeing in the Ephesian church, he just says this can equate to anybody. And it equates to us as well. We go through it in verse 25. He talks about um, essentially lying and and speaking the truth. Therefore, having put away falsehood, instead of lying and saying things that aren't true and and trying to spin truth, you know, trying to give technicality language. Well, technically what I said was true. Paul's saying that's falsehood. Instead of being false with this, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For he remembers one of another. He's not simply talking about, I don't think, just, you know, random lying. It is lying. It is being truthful. But I think even more to the point, what he's saying is, speak the truth even when maybe you don't want to because there's something somebody needs to hear, your neighbors. There's times in the church where we need to go to somebody and say, hey, hey so, you know, that, that what you said hurt me. What you said, that hurt me. And, and we need to be truthful about that. But it's not absent love. Like we can say that in a way that's cutting. We can say that in a way that says, and I hate you for it. We get there with bitterness, don't we? Paul's trying to say, don't be bitter. Like if we don't address things with each other, we just let it simmer, what happens? Bitterness creeps in, slander creeps in, all of these things creeps in. He's saying, look, just be honest, be truthful. Don't, don't, Don't cut corners, don't speak in technicalities, don't speak in coded language, don't speak in spin language, don't speak to somebody else. Be truthful, you're neighbors of one another, speak the truth. Paul talked about this, uh, I mean, Tyler talked about this, but Paul said a few weeks ago, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way. And here's what he says again, speak the truth with your neighbor, for we are members one of another. Church, we're members. I'm, I'm I'm a finger, you're an arm, somebody else in here is a leg, Somebody is a shoulder. We, we gather together in this body language. We're members together. We, we are joined together. We are called to be loving in how we speak to one another, not in falsehoods or spin, but in truth. 
And one of the things we as elders have committed to do, we wrote this up, I think, right at the beginning when we started the church, we've committed that if there's something we need to address with you, we need to tell you about, maybe we make a mistake in leadership, we do something stupid, we, you know, something happens, I don't know, whatever it is, we will, we, we've committed as elders to say, we want to come immediately and tell you the truth. Because too many churches fall apart when there's just coded language and spin, isn't there? You've been around church long enough, you understand that. There's, there's sometimes people just don't say the whole truth. And you get language like they're speaking out of both sides of their mouth. And oh my goodness, look, we are not called to be like that. We're called to be truth-filled. We want to be truth-filled. He also says, as we go forward in verse 26, be angry and do not sin. What does he mean by that? Don't you think? Because later he says, wait a second. Later he says, no, put away anger. And this is confusing for a lot of us because we think, well, anger is never good. I would say, oh, no, yeah, sometimes it is. Let me give you an example. Child abuse, spiritual, any kind of abuse, just child abuse, any kind of abuse, abortion, things where we just feel like we, we need to say, look, that, that is wrong. And he says, don't sin, because I think we can be angry at the circumstances. Look, as, as pastors, you know, I, I've dealt with abuse situations. And you realize at some point, you're like, I am so offended for you, for the victim. Because that's wrong. What's happening to you is wrong. So be angry and do not sin. And don't let the sun go down on your anger. Meaning, don't let it simmer. Again, this goes back to what he said before. Speak true things. If there's something that's, if some of, you know, if I'm in a community group with some of you, I am, and there's something where you feel like, hey, I need to address a sin category with you, we're called to do this, but we're doing it in a, in a loving way as beloved family. This is Paul's point. We want to make sure that we're, we're reacting to each other, even when it's difficult, even when we, we have to have hard conversations in a way that's, that's loving and kind and doesn't lead to bitterness and doesn't need, lead to slander. But we actually just honest, we're like, let's have an honest discussion, an honest conversation. This is what he's talking about. Give no opportunity for the devil to bring in bitterness and slander. Don't, don't do that. Let the thief... This is stealing. The thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I mean, this could go into anything. And I don't know, it could go to laziness. It could go to anything. Just, just taking from everybody without giving, not being generous. All of this stuff as we think about it. You know where I think most of the time it relates to us though? Because we can talk about this in, in relation to things like, like money. And, but stealing is not just about money, especially in our context. You know sometimes where I think we get this? We get this when we steal people's joy. We get this when we steal people's hope. We get this sometimes when we, we steal people's peace. When I, you know, every, every year in the fall, if you have a lawn like me in Phoenix, that Bermuda grass dies and you got to overseed it. You, know, you got to get the winter grass going, which I love doing winter grass. It actually brings me a lot of joy. I love going out there and I'm like, I can't wait for this nice soft grass out here. I get to listen to some music for a second. I get to do a bunch of a little bit of yard work. So I put my winter grass in and I love it. It's joyful and I'm, I'm spreading the seeds and I'm doing all this stuff and it's great. But then sometimes what happens is all that seed has actually gone oh, you know, over where the grass is supposed to be into the rock area. And eventually what happens is I look out there and I have weeds 
coming up all in my rocks and I got to go figure out how to take it out and it just sucks the joy out of me. I'm like, oh, this was great. Like two weeks ago, I was so excited about this and now I'm like, why do I do this every year? This is brutal. Like I I hate trying to get this because you can't get rid of that stuff. Once it's in your rocks, it's just like it's over. It steals my joy. And sometimes we are the weeds stealing the joy. We come into a room and people just feel like, oh, man, the joy is sucked out. I used to have a, I used to have a friend we used to live with. Uh, we had four of us lived in, a, we lived in a trailer park. That's a good story. I'll tell you that sometime. Um, but he was a Broncos fan. And every, every Sunday, the Broncos would lose, which is they typically do, um, especially when we were living together. They'd lose all the time. And so every single, and they should lose. And every single, every single Sunday they would lose, we just knew we got to kind of walk on eggshells because this guy would just lose it. He would be in his room under a blanket. Um, if you said anything to him, he'd get mad at you. He's sucking the peace, sucking the joy out of that room. And you know what? Sometimes we can be like this. We can steal joy. We can steal hope. Parents, we can do this with our children. We need to be careful. We, we need to not steal joy or peace from one another. Again, I, I'm going to go back to abuse. Abuse is, is a... Spiritual abuse, some of you have been in church situations where your pastor has wronged you or done something. I know I have in the past. When I was in college, we planted a church and that pastor um, was spiritually abusive. And it steals some of the joy of church life. It actually can rob the joy of even knowing Jesus. It's stealing. Paul's saying, no, don't steal. Don't steal, give back. Serve one another. Be generous. Talk about speech. I'm not going to go through all these, but, but we talk about speech not tearing down, but building up. Like when you talk to people, is grace left? That's a question. When you talk to people and you're in a community group, do you leave people with grace? Or do you leave people with confusion? Do you leave people feeling like they want to know Jesus more? Or do you leave people feeling like they're, they're confused about who you are and who Jesus is? How, how, do we, how do we talk? How do we talk to one another? Holiness. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Emphasis on holy there. We, are, we, are we growing in holiness? Or are we just living how we want to live? Like Paul's point is, he's, he's line listing, and he just gets to the point of saying, I could go on. I guarantee you, Paul could probably write another two pages of all this stuff, like in ways that we should treat each other. Here's the bottom line. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger Anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted as God and Christ forgave you. This is the reality. We should treat each other like we are family. I don't, I don't go into my beloved family, my, my children, my wife. I don't go into that house and I think, how can I be bitter today? I think about how can I love them? And this is what, what our posture should be towards each other. But there are times, even in my family, where we're at odds, isn't there? There are times in your family where you're at odds. There will be times here in this church family where we will, we will be at odds. As we grow and we're growing, as, we, as that happens, we will see sometimes there's going to be more of that, more of that at, at odds moments. And the question is, how do we deal with it? What does it look like? I think part of it is that we deal with it the way Paul does here. Look, don't, don't dance around things. Let's just talk about them. Let's be kind to one another. Let's do all this as we go forward. But I want you to recognize that we get our cue on how we respond to these things, especially if somebody needs to ask our forgiveness or we need to go and ask somebody else's forgiveness. We get our cue how to do that with the last thing he says. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave 
Church, listen, our example is that while we were still enemies, God sent his son for us. Jesus died for us to forgive us when we wanted nothing to do with him. Sometimes we feel like, you know, um, you know, I, I'm just not going to go towards somebody. I'm not going to try and reconcile something because I don't, I don't like them. I don't like them. I don't care for them, and I'm just going to leave them alone. Listen, is that how God treats us? As God in Christ forgave us. Now, let me make a couple caveats because a lot of times if somebody has sinned against you, you can forgive them from the standpoint of, okay, I'm, I'm going to let this go in a heart-wise. True forgiveness takes somebody asking for it, though doesn't it? Genuine forgiveness in terms of the relational uh, reconciliation, I should say reconciliation and forgiveness takes two people, takes somebody to come and ask for forgiveness. I can have heart forgiveness and I can say, okay, as God in Christ has forgiven me, I want to release this. I'm going to leave it here. I'm not going to be bitter. I don't want to be angry. But there's times somebody needs to come and actually say, hey, listen, I'm, I'm sorry. That's reconciliation. Okay, not, not every time we forgive somebody, not, not all of that every single time is going to lead to reconciliation. And I would say, sometimes it shouldn't. I've mentioned abuse a number of times here. There can be abusive marriages. There can be abusive parents to children. It can be spiritual abuse. Forgiveness does not mean, okay, now, just get, get back into that relationship and just do it. Just, just push on, press on. Sometimes it doesn't mean that church. I want to be really clear. Sometimes there's times where I can forgive with my heart posture and reconciliation is, or I'm sorry, lack of what reconciliation and not reconciling is just wisdom, especially if the sin is egregious, like, like abuse. So I want to, I want to be careful with that. But I think that what Paul is referring to here is what is our heart's posture? How do I, how do I look at you as people? as fellow Christians, as people in the room, as people in my community, is my posture saying, I want to be quick to forgive. I want to be quick to be kind. I want to be quick to be compassionate. How am I thinking about that? As God in Christ has forgiven us. Let's just remember this, church. The the forgiveness of Jesus for us, in terms of his reconciling to us, came at a cost. It came at a cost of Jesus' blood for us. If you're not a Christian, we're talking about blood, we're talking, we take communion here. We talk about drinking the representation of blood. You might think that's odd. It, it is. It's not, it's not normal, something we, we do every day. We don't typically talk about that in American culture. Oh, drinking blood. So we think that that's kind of weird. We leave that to Ozzy Osbourne and all these other kinds of people that would do those kinds of things. We, we, uh, we don't talk about that all the time. But, but what, it, what it means is that our sinfulness, all of our anger and clamor and bitterness and wrath and malice and all of that that's in our hearts, Jesus said, I'm going to die on a cross so that that can be taken care of. And that's the joy of the gospel. The gospel just simply means good news. It just means that all of the stuff that you think the bad things that you've done in your life, Jesus says, give it to me. I'm going to take it to the cross and I'll die for it. And therefore you don't have to carry it anymore. And we come before then, we come before God. When we die, we close our eyes for the very last time. We'll wake up and see Jesus And forgiveness is ours. And we come before God and we say, I I claim his blood for me. That's what it means to be a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you don't trust that Jesus can do that for you, then then you don't have that hope at death. We, We recognize that as God in Christ forgave us, that is a miracle. That is amazing. That is 
That is amazing grace. We sing the song, amazing grace. That's what that means. It's amazing grace. And we want to be those that have a heart posture of forgiveness like this. A heart posture of kindness and compassion like this. What does this look like for us tomorrow? Let me give you two ways we can live this out. And then we're going to take communion together. The first is this, especially when we're living this out tomorrow, we talk about how to think through it. The first is this, ask, do I love those who are hard to love or only those that are easy? Especially in the church. Am I leaning in to love those that you find are hard to love? It doesn't mean that person is necessarily hard to love, but look, we're, we're all different. We all have different personalities. We all treat, you know, we, we've grown up differently. We have different ways that we think. We have different ways that we, you know, th- different things we enjoy. Some of you like NASCAR. And if you were to ask me to come over for a NASCAR event, I'd say probably not. But tell me how it goes. Like, I'd, that'd be great. Like, I'd love to hear how it goes, but I don't, know, I don't want to watch NASCAR. I would tell you, hey, you want to come over and watch a soccer game? You'd go, I don't like soccer. They don't score any goals. Like, there's no points being scored. And you'd think it's boring. So you'd say, I don't want to come over and watch that. Uh, we, we talk about, you know, we've, I've talked before about cat people and dog people. That's just true. Some of you, that's just different people, right? There's sometimes we just, we just, we don't, we have a hard time getting along. But the question is, when you find that person, are you still inclined to say, how can I love you? How can I get to know you? Because your unity and the way that you are together is not rooted in your likes and dislikes, your interests and not interests. It's in a common savior. It's in Jesus who's the head, and if we are the body as he's called us to be, then we're members of one of another is what he says. Then we're united together as a body in Christ. And am I eager to love those that I even don't understand? That's, that's one of the questions. It's one of the diagnostic questions. Do I love those people or do I not? Do I avoid them? Do I keep away from them? How is my interaction with the church here? Am I, am I interacting with each other as beloved family? Or as just an acquaintance that I don't even care about? It's a question. The second question is this. I'm going to invite the band up here as we close. Ask this. Who needs forgiving like I've been forgiven? Think about your life. Who maybe that you think in your life that you've maybe wronged? Who needs to be forgiven as God in Christ has forgiven you? Maybe you think about somebody that's wronged you. Maybe you think about someone you've wronged. Look, forgiveness, that heart posture of compassion and love matters. How are we thinking about that as a church as we gather? This, this doesn't mean that we always need to be best friends, but it does mean that what's our heart posture with fellow believers in the local church? How are we thinking through it? Look, I recognize that there will be times in this season of this church over the years that we exist that there will be sometimes, man, we're, we're going we're to be angry with somebody else. We're, we're going to be wronged by somebody else. If we think that's never going to happen, then we're fooling ourselves. Because relational strife happens. It, it takes place. We, we experience that. The question is, what do we do with it when it happens that way? We, we have a value called passionately one. We, we want to make sure that we're leaning into that. I would not only say that, but there's a reason why uh, we have bracelets that say, love God, love people. Because love is the root of everything of the Christian life. There's a reason why John writes about it in his epistles constantly, in his gospel constantly. Jesus talks about it all the time. Our posture of love matters, church. We want to be those that love God and love people as we go forward. And we do so because we recognize that we've been loved much. Look, we love much. 
because we've been loved much. We forgive much because we've been forgiven much. And I think if we continue to have that heart posture and we take that posture together, then, then I think we have a lot of growth in store relationally. I think we want to grow together in those things. Amen? Amen. We are going to take communion. If you haven't uh, gotten the, the drink and the, I mean, the cup back there with the, with the wafer in it and the drink, you can go get it right now. We have a gluten-free one and a regular one. Communion is a time for us as Christians to uh, remember. This is a remembrance. It's a remembrance of Jesus, his death for us, his crucifixion to actually take our sins upon himself. We, we are called in the Bible to remember this when we gather. And I think, I think one of the reasons why we, Paul calls us to remember this, Jesus instituted it the night that he was betrayed, and Paul tells us to remember this uh, as we gather together, is because we are so prone to forget. We're prone to forget his sacrifice for us. Not just that, but I think we're prone to let it just become something that is just in the background of our minds. And he says, no, this should be in the forefront of our minds. Jesus' death for us, his his death on the cross and the subsequent resurrection is something we have to constantly remember. If we're going to live this out, remember Paul's whole emphasis here is to do that because God in Christ has forgiven us. We're going to remember what he's forgiven us. Listen, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to have Julie just play here for about a minute. You can take the cup and the drink. I'm going to have you take it on your own. We're just going to play. What I want you to do as you're thinking about it is just to remember. Christian, I want you to remember the moment that Jesus saved you from your sins, that you believed in him, the moment that you, you're, you realized my sins cannot harm me anymore because God's removed them from me. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so far as he taken our sins from us, those that believe in Christ. And so we want to make sure we get that, we understand that. I want you to take it on your own. And Julie in a second is going to have us stand and, and sing with us together. So just where you're at, uh, take communion on your own today. I really hope that you were encouraged by the sermon today. You can learn more about us at anchorchurchgilbert.com. We'd love to have you join our mailing list. You can do that on the website. If you have any questions for us about who Jesus is, please let us know through our website. I hope that you were encouraged.